Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and data science professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I'm excited to welcome back longtime Pragmatic collaborator and partner Justin Topliff. Justin is one of the leading thinkers and contributors in the product marketing space with well over a decade of experience at companies like Campus Logic, VTS, Infusionsoft. He's also the founder of the Product Marketing Summer and currently the Senior Product Marketing Manager at HighSpot. Welcome, Justin. Thanks, Rebecca. Happy to be here and excited to talk product marketing with you. Awesome. So as I said in the intro, you have been in this space, and I know a passionate believer in the power of product marketing and in trying to elevate the profession for well over a decade. So I was super excited when you reached out about doing a podcast and just kind of helping maybe people that are newer in that space and sharing what you've learned from spending a decade in product marketing. Yeah, it's, it's been my passion for a long, long time. I, like many other product marketers, stumbled into product marketing by total accident. <laughs> so I, I've lived through all of the, the struggles and uh, learning curves that I'm sure many of our listeners are hiking up right now. And with the help of pragmatic marketing and those certifications, uh, along with a lot of other research, um, I have always found tribal knowledge from one product marketer to another to be kind of the, the best uh, source of a, a lot of learnings and hoping I can bestow some of that on our listeners today. Awesome. All right. Well, first, let's give people a little bit of context. Why don't you tell us how you stumbled into this, my very favorite profession? <laughs> well, I did study marketing in uh, university, so I guess I, I was kind of off to a running start in that regard. But right out of school, I worked for a company called Jostens, which if any of you have spent a lot of money on a class ring or a yearbook, that was us. Thank you so much for your business. And I helped them roll out their proprietary version of Adobe Suite because a lot of our customers, which were schools, uh, because of budgeting reasons, often couldn't afford Adobe Suite. And we wanted to make sure that they were able to produce their yearbooks. So we said, why don't we create our own kind of publishing tool and vertically integrate it with our printing presses, give them some template libraries to get them off to the races and uh, see how that goes. So I helped them roll out that version of software and that was my first taste of software. I said, that's pretty cool. And then found my way to a startup accelerator in Phoenix at the time, uh, which was just starting to emerge as kind of one of the Silicon deserts. Uh, since our real estate was cheap and operating a company in Phoenix is also relatively inexpensive compared to Bay Area and other coastal cities. And worked with about 50 different companies in startup to early growth stages over the course of two years, unknowingly doing a lot of product marketing type things. So assembling go-to-market strategies, marketing plans matched to budgets, doing product validation and user testing, and then found my way to kind of the hot tech startup uh, story in town at the time, which was Infusionsoft, an all-in-one sales and marketing software, uh, specifically geared towards small business. And that was my first official product marketing title and got shipped through pragmatic training, which was invaluable in uh, getting me up to speed and uh, foundations uh, so that I would be successful in that role. And started working on product launches and doing a lot of work our, on our ancillary products and eventually our flagship product launching uh, our first new product in a number of years, which we'll probably talk about today. 
and then moved to New York to start a product marketing function from scratch at a commercial real estate SaaS company. Spent two years there, went through a big competitive knife battle, uh, went through an acquisition and a merger, and then decided to come back to the West Coast. Uh, spent some time in Arizona at an ed tech company, and now I am at Seattle working at Highspot, and super excited because we are solving the problem that uh, many of our product marketing and sales enablement listeners have been living for a long, long time, and that is making sure that the marketing content that we're producing is actually getting used by salespeople. There is nothing worse than a great deal of unused content, right? About 60 or 65% of, of marketing content actually goes unused because salespeople either can't find it or they don't know it's there. So that's the big, uh, hairy, audacious goal, I guess, that we're solving for. Yeah, and I know, um, you know, it's easy to blame the salespeople sometimes and be like, well, I made that. How come they don't remember that one comment when I told them about it in their lives <laughs> two years ago that this piece exists? And and I actually think that leads us nicely um, into one of your first lessons that you talk about. And it's it's easy to blame sales, but what you do then is show that it is, is you're kind of missing empathy for the sales team. So talk to me a little bit about how you learned that lesson and why you think it's so important to have empathy for your sales team. Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're talking about kind of a lot of the lessons that I've learned over, over the years here. And one of the, the more painful ones really is I think a lot of product marketers will come into organizations or have superiors above them who, you know, inevitably rant and or finger point about, oh, geez, we do all these amazing things for salespeople, or we make all of this content, and why is none of it getting used? Or you're in a meeting and you're reviewing something and a salesperson asks for a certain piece of content and, and you're, you point to it and say, we had this a couple months ago. You know, why, why haven't you been using it? And I think this creates a lot of animosity between different departments. And, you know, we as product marketers are at a very busy and also interesting and impactful intersection of product marketing and sales. And, you know, inevitably, every, a lot of things are going on, especially in expansion and growth stage companies, any company really, but I've always found it to be very pronounced in startups and, and growth and expansion stage companies where there's so much going on that it's really easy to forget things. And this animosity that a lot of us either come into we, or, or are living in kind of becomes the status quo, and it's really easy for us to get emotional about it and to become almost resentful of teams around us for, for not appreciating all the work that we do or not leveraging the awesome content that we're creating. And I found that to be a really dangerous trap because at the end of the day, you're at a company and all of us are sharing the same goal, right? We all want to be successful in the market. We want to be market-driven. We want to connect our customers with a solution that solves their pain points. And if, if you're harboring um, a lot of this animosity that's, that's really kind of unfounded in most cases for sales teams, it can be really damaging for relationships and the long-term success of not only just the partnership between sales and marketing, but really the company as a whole. And it, because it's so easy to fall into this trap, um, I, I think it's worthwhile for everybody to kind of step back and really spend a day or dive in, lean in and spend a day in salespeople's shoes. Because really, when you audit, uh, 
we audit our marketing libraries all the time, but if you're a salesperson trying to find content and also navigate around in Salesforce and be on the, while you're on the phone with customers and prospects and trying to sell things, it's a lot. And it's easy for us to kind of sit back and judge if we haven't placed ourselves in those shoes. And I know Pragmatic has been championing the concept of Mojito for a long, long time. You know, get out of the office. I encourage people to get out of their role and spend some time in other people's roles because, you know, you may find that, sure, you have a whole bunch of great content, but maybe you haven't done the best job of organizing it, or maybe you don't have a solution in place to make it easy for salespeople to find and leverage that kind of content. Um, and I think that Mihito concept can be really worthwhile in improving how you support those departments around you to collectively achieve the overall goals that your companies are pursuing. I love that idea of the Nihito being not just for getting out of your office, but for getting out of your role. And I think when we do that and we really look at what, you know, the, the pacing even of a sales team, right? Where are they when they need content? What are they doing? What systems are they using? What urgency do they have? And then you can see why, some of the ways that we might be providing it to them don't fit in those, uh, don't fit the circumstances where it's needed, right? It's back in the office in a share, you know, in a SharePoint that you can't get when you're on the road, or there's seven versions of the same thing. And we know that, gosh, for this kind of buyer, this version's better, but we haven't made that obvious to them. And, and I, I think uh, it's a great way of, of thinking about it, going and stepping in their shoes, being, uh, having empathy for the other people that you serve. And I think, the healthiest product marketing groups are those that truly feel like partners to sales um, and who take the feedback as a way for them to improve and not as, you know, every time sales request something, they get defensive that it, that does exist in some form one day, right? So, um, okay. So we had talked about sort of the first lesson learned, be empathetic to your salespeople, really think uh, about their, um, their role and what they're trying to accomplish and how you can make sure that all of that time that you spend in sales enablement is really enabling sales in the way that they work and in the needs that they have and not the way we think they should. I think that's an amazing lesson. What other lesson along the way would you like to share with our listeners? So one thing I've, I've also learned is that a lot of customers actually don't realize they have problems. And it, this took me a while to learn. And the only reason I learned is because I started working at, I, I, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with the chief MarTech chart of like sales and marketing software that has ballooned from 150 solutions all the way back in 2011, which actually wasn't that long ago, uh, to the over 7,000 solutions today. And I think one thing that a lot of us are starting to see in various industries is we've kind of hit critical mass in the number of these point solutions that we're seeing out in the market. And what's starting to happen now is a little bit of consolidation. And over the years, I'm sure many listeners can relate, uh, a lot of companies, regardless of industries, often tend to accumulate a lot of point solutions that they have purchased to solve specific problems. And now we start seeing platform competitors emerge. And with the emergence of these platform uh, solutions that consolidate a lot of the point solutions that have been daisy chained together over the years, uh, it kind of introduces a new standard or oftentimes new categories. And in this case, a lot of the market has been living in the status quo for so long 
that they may not realize that their status quo is problematic or the way that they're currently doing business today is problematic. I think this has been an interesting transition over the years because back when we were in slower velocity and buyers were less educated and coming to the table, uh, it was easy for us to kind of point out specific pains or problems and then market our solutions against that. And oftentimes customers are coming to companies today and their pain is actually, well, we've satisfied so many of our pains over the years with all of these different solutions that now we have a solution problem <laughs> or now we, we have so many solutions that this is creating a new set of problems. So I've operated in several spaces, namely commercial real estate and now the sales enablement space or category, which has recently emerged as its own category and a must-have category, as a lot of analysts are calling it. And these categories have developed because there are just so many uh, point solutions that people have accumulated over the years, and now they need something to kind of tie all that together or bring it into one space. So the challenge for all of us as product marketers is how do we educate or how do we identify the status quo as a problem, right? It's no longer necessarily a pervasive problem. And like I said, because a lot of people have been living in it for so long, they've just normalized against it. And they don't realize that there is kind of this promised land out there that could be had uh, in, in ditching or consolidating a lot of these solutions and going with a platform kind of solution. So Andy Raskin, uh, many of our listeners may be familiar with, he kind of talks about how, you know, you need to, in your messaging today, you need to name an enemy and you need to call out that the status quo is currently broken and then quantify that status quo or quantify that problem. And if you don't change, if you don't get on the train that is leaving the station, you know, here's what that means for you and your business. And here's the promised land that the ship that's sailing is, is leaving for wouldn't it be nice if you could uh, also live in this new promised land? So it's become really challenging, I think, for product marketers today, now that the space has gotten so crowded, especially in the world of software, um, to really be able to stand out and differentiate themselves. So naming yourself as a category and being able to create a compelling story and messaging around that, I think, is really important. And when customers don't realize they have a problem, it's it's often challenging for you as a product marketer to be able to uh, get some airtime for you know why they should go with your product over all of the ones that they currently have today. So I think lessons learned number one was you know getting the shoes of your salespeople. Lesson learned number two: don't assume clients know their problems, right? Um, and, and I do think that that to your point it just seems obvious. Like my problem, you obviously have this problem, right? Sometimes they don't know they have the problem. Sometimes they don't know that a solution exists to it. So spending time talking to them about that and helping them see it, um, I think is a, is a powerful role for a product marketer to play. Absolutely. And, you know, all, all of we product marketers are are infatuated with our product and totally in love with it. And we think, why would nobody buy this? Because it's so easy for us to see, but we have to remind ourselves that we are not our buyers. And I think this also factors into buyer enablement in the sense that, you know, oftentimes, especially when companies have amassed so many solutions, uh, how do, if I'm, if I'm wanting to buy, 
uh, another solution. How do I make that case for budget? How do I navigate all of the change management that would ensue from purchasing another solution? So that's something for we product marketers to start thinking about is, you know, great, we've nailed our messaging and, and we understand our buyers, but how do we help them along their journey uh, in, in what we call, at least the high spot, kind of a champion's kit? You know, here's, hey, potential software buyer, here is your champion's kit. Here is how you make the case for this kind of software. Here are the people that you need to be thinking about, the stakeholders at your company. Here is what each of them is going to care about and messaging and data sheets and whatever you need for all of those buyers. So I think kind of greasing the rails for uh, the buyers today, especially in such a crowded market, is more important than ever. So what have you learned along the way about the type of messaging that works best in today's markets? The type of messaging that works best, I have always found to be messaging that is genuine. And I think the adage of honesty is the best policy can go a long way here. <laughs> and I think in an era where buyers are more educated than ever, and it's so easy to get references or word of mouth uh, input from your colleagues or, or past colleagues who are currently using solutions or even just you hop on g2.com and you can see what everybody thinks about software, right? Like this, this did not used to be the case you know, five or 10 years ago. And it's so easy uh, today to get that kind of information and be able to self-identify uh, solutions who are just blowing hot air in their messaging that it's, I think it's more important now than ever to be totally genuine in your messaging. And I also think that it, that factors into, you know, oftentimes being genuine really lets you stand out against the competition. I've operated in a lot of spaces where you know, a lot of other competitors are just kind of blowing hot air. They're using buzzwords and everything else. And if, if you kind of deviate from the norm there, um, it, and especially true in, in category scenarios, if, if you want to become category king, you don't necessarily have to be the best. You just have to be different because spaces today are so crowded, right? If I'm a buyer and I'm looking at, you know, CRM software, there, there's the gold standards, you know, that are oftentimes too expensive. And maybe what I need is there's, you know, thousands of software that I could be considering. What's going to really stand out to me as a buyer is somebody who's totally different and deviates from the norm. So I think companies who have been able to really break the rules almost in that regard and still be totally market and customer driven in their messaging, but do so in a way that's fun oftentimes or just totally flat out genuine that call out things that people don't want to say or everybody's afraid to say are often the ones who really win here. So Drift is a great example of that. You know, every, every website has lead form capture and, you know, chat I think is starting to take over as a, an alternative or better alternative arguably to that of web form captures today. Um, you know, they, they just, are very frank in their messaging and, and calling out that traditional marketing is broken. Like web forms are broken. Nobody, hate, everybody hates filling out web forms. You know, what they really want is to be able to chat with a live human uh, or, or get the information they need in a more efficient manner. And I've seen them have great success in just being totally genuine in their messaging. And that's something we try and do here at Highspot as well is, you know, there's a lot of different sales enablement point solutions. Uh, there's a couple different platform plays in the market, but you know, a 
we're sales enablement and reps just love us. Like we have over 90% adoption and monthly recurring usage on our solution because we're easy to use. And that has been a great messaging pillar for us because, you know, especially when you're spending the money on enterprise software, uh, adoption is a very large concern and driver of getting ROI on that software. So knowing that, you know, we are very successful in that regard, that in turn makes our customers really successful. If, if their sales reps and marketing teams and everybody else is actually using the software that they purchased, that's been a big pillar that we lean on. And it's genuine, it's, it's true, uh, it's referenceable, it's, it's quantifiable, and it checks out. So I encourage brands to, you know, if you log on to your homepage and you see a whole bunch of buzzwords or, you know, you're really questioning whether or not one of the messages you're preaching to the market is genuine, to uh, reevaluate that quickly because the market will find out. So, and they'll find out quickly and they'll tell others, right? That's, that, that's the other thing. They will. Yes. Okay. So the, the, you know, the last two are a lot about messaging, right? The customer may not know the problem and you need to be honest, but I think one of the things when we've talked before, just in that, that you've talked about areas where you've learned it, it's maybe not as sexy as, as messaging and the things like that, but it was processes. And you talked about what you've learned about processes and, and I, I, uh, I would love for you to share that. Yeah, so I, I I will kind of point to my German heritage here in, in that I, I do love process and I do love efficiency. And uh, sometimes I, you know, catch myself diving a little too deep into process at, at times. But uh, process, I think, is what makes things scalable. And I think it's important to not over-engineer on process early on, but especially when you hit hypergrowth or you're hiking up a hockey stick, it becomes important to have at least some level of process in place. And when I think about product launches or really just taking something to market, any go-to-market strategy, you have to have some sort of framework like pragmatics um, and uh, follow-on processes to that to be able to execute well and effectively. And I'm thinking back to when we changed uh, pricing at, at DTS, actually. And so I, I, I think it's important to have process. I also think it's important to have courage at launch because you have gone through the proven process that is in place. And I remember when I showed up at VTS, we hadn't, uh, we just, so this was a commercial real estate platform, again, emerging category, platform play. Uh, we hadn't changed our pricing or even looked at it really in a long, long time. And I know there's a lot of pricing thought leadership out there today. Pragmatic has a course on it. And uh, having gone through it, I can say it is definitely an important thing for businesses to pay attention to. Um, OpenView has done some research on, you know, if, if you're looking to improve your bottom line, you can try and lower cost of goods sold, you can try and increase revenue, but by far a 1% change in pricing often results in, I think it's an 11% increase in net profits. So pricing scares a lot of people because a lot of people haven't gone through pricing exercises. They don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, but and a lot of people think that it's it's difficult to put a process around pricing. So the way that a lot of people set prices today is they just kind of stick their finger in the air and say, oh, I, you know, I think we can charge this. They do some sort of you know value plus pricing or cost plus pricing, or they just benchmark themselves against competitors, which is as as you know, and if you've gone through Pragmatics course, know, uh, is is not scientific at all. <laughs> Arguably the worst way to set pricing. Um, so 
when we started looking at our pricing at VPS, you know, we realized we hadn't touched it a long time. We had also added a ton of value into the product. So the price that we were charging for the product today did not uh, capitalize on all of that incremental value that we had added over time. And, you know, I said, I want to do a pricing audit and I think I want to change our prices. And that scared a lot of people, you know, because no, nobody on our executive team had ever gone through a pricing exercise before. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of tried and true. There was a, well, you know, it's working today, so why should we touch it kind of uh, argument. But we were able to identify and, and take everybody through a very scientific process. You know, let's, let's audit what we have today. Let's take a look at uh, the value that our customers are getting out of the software. Let's uh, do quant and qualitative analysis. So we did a whole bunch of customer interviews. We did looked at all of our bookings and averaged everything to get different ASPs and all of these other pricing metrics that you care about. And based on all of that, we were able to kind of say, here's the delta between, you know, what we're charging today and the value that people are paying for and actual reality. Uh, since we've added so much value to the product, you know, here's what we think our new pricing should be and also our new packaging based off of what customers were telling us. We were able to scientifically determine that, you know, one subsegment of our customers did not require all the features in our platform and another subsegment of our customers did. And there was another segment in the middle who wanted kind of a mix of the, of everything. Um, and in some cases, you know, we could charge for a package, a good, better, best kind of package like that and other things we should charge a la carte for. And, we took everybody through this process, arrived at our you know, new pricing recommendations. We said, okay, we, we are confident after some tweaking that we think this could be the new pricing. And then we did a giant pricing pilot you know, over the course of six months, trained up some of our best salespeople on how to actually pitch this new pricing out into the market, clocked all of that feedback, and uh, eventually we're able to zero in on here is our new pricing model with a lot of confidence because we went through this very scientific and, and set process. And even though we did that, when we were ready to toggle over to the new pricing, <laughs> it's easy to get kind of emotional and scared, frankly, when, when you're doing that, because you know that at the end of the day, you probably won't be able to save some customers. A lot of our existing customer base was looking at price increases, right? But there's also tools that you can use uh, to, to mitigate all of that. Um, but we were confident at launch because we had followed a very scientific and prescriptive process in looking at all of the all of our current pricing making changes arriving at and testing market testing this new pricing and because of that we were able to go to market confidently and we all you know agreed that we had arrived at the right decision this is the right thing for the business this is the price uh, the value that we provide does command this price out in the market and because we followed that process, uh, we had confidence at launch and we saw really great success from that uh, pricing change, implementing all of those changes. So process, I think, is really important uh, to be thinking about and process is something that you should lean on, especially when you find yourself in very ambiguous, uh, navigating ambiguous environments, which no product marketer is a stranger to, uh, or even strong personalities at times from other stakeholders. And I think you make a great point that when you follow the process is where you get the confidence. And if you follow the process, even the big leaps 
you should take. Though that's how you get ahead. That's where the innovation comes from because you follow the process. And even though the end result seems very different, every step along the way, you've checked it. So it's not a jump into a, an unknown chasm. It's a jump to a place where you can feel comfortable you land. And that's really where you're going to see the biggest impact and the biggest leaps ahead. Definitely. Okay. So we've talked about a bunch. Is there one more lesson that you want to share? One more lesson out of so many lessons learned. That's a <laughs> difficult one to point down here. Or maybe just if you could go back and tell yourself what, like 10 years ago when you started, hey, Justin, remember this. Think of this as your thing. Well, you know, what, what would you wish you knew then that you know now? Yeah, it's uh, so I'll touch on both here. So the, the last lesson that I, I think is kind of one that goes unspoken a lot of times is that, you know, we as product marketers, because we set, sit at that intersection between sales, product, and marketing, inevitably we deal with a lot of different stakeholders. And the more stakeholders or people that you deal with or more internal customers and external customers that you have, you know, all of those people have opinions or different styles or ideas on how you as a product marketer should be doing your job or what you should be focusing on. So inevitably, all of us will deal with people who in some cases have really strong personalities and that can be difficult at times. And one lesson that I want to share with listeners is that, you know, when you do encounter these people, I think refocusing everybody and aligning everybody around outcomes is, is pertinent. <laughs> and that also makes kind of dealing with a, a lot of the, the emotions or uh, differing priorities a, a lot easier because in refocusing everybody around, especially on, on any go-to-market or, or a product launch or what have you, you know, our goal is this, the company goal is this, that has factored down into, you know, our, all of our shared goals around this initiative, right? All of us should be aligned around these. It becomes much more easy to manage difficult personalities or people if you can convince them or, or align them around, listen, we are sharing this goal and this goal is the only thing that matters. So I, I just want to bestow that lesson on, especially a lot of our green product marketers, because um, it's overwhelming kind of walking into this intersection. It's you know like walking into Times Square in New York and you have people running at you from every different direction and uh, it's, it's a lot to take in, and oftentimes it's difficult to figure out who you should be listening to or, uh, you know, what really matters. So if you ever find yourself uh, just getting spun around in a busy intersection or, you know, really stressed out because you're having to deal with some strong personalities on your team, take another look at what your overall goals or objectives for whatever initiative or, or quarter it is that you're working on. And if you can rally everybody around you around or, or towards that goal or objective, that'll make your life a lot easier and save you a lot of time and stress dealing with uh, emotions and the like. Your Times Square analogy is very strong. It's, right, it's both the, the best part of the job and the hardest. It's all these different intersections. You're part of so many stuff. There's so much excitement and, and that is so much fun, but it's also made you've got to be strong in yourself. You've got to know what resources you can rely on and you've got to keep a strong true north because there's so much movement coming at you at all the times. Definitely. 
And then to go back on your, your second question, Rebecca, if I could go back and tell myself one thing at the beginning of my career, uh, what would it be? Um, well, the first is that spending you know this much time in, in tech and software is exhausting. <laughs> it's also exciting. Um, and you know, I don't know if who out there needs to hear this. I know I'm self-aware in that I, I consider myself a pretty driven type A person, so I'm always looking for the next challenge. Um, but if I could tell myself 10 years ago, I would say, and this is actually one of our values at High Spot, it's, you know, enjoy the ride, be patient, you know, have patience for those difficult scenarios when you're dealing with difficult people or, or difficult projects, um, and, and kind of zoom out and take stock of, of how far you've come or how much fun you're having, or the, the longer I spend, you know, and the, a big decision in me deciding to move to Seattle was, the longer I've spent in, in product marketing, the more I've realized, you know, having a great opportunity ahead of you and your company or your solution is great. But, you know, going back to basics, I, I, I care a lot more about just the people I work with and the work that I'm doing now than I did earlier on in my career, chasing the next challenge, the next big thing, the, the, the biggest thing that I could possibly bite off. And, uh, you know, surrounding yourself with a team and having a boss, or, or leadership team above you who can mentor you, teach you things that you didn't know, push you, uh, and just enjoying the people you work with, and also attaching yourself to a rocket ship that happens to be very mission and values driven uh, is really a happy spot to be in. So, you know, I would I would tell my younger self to just kind of cool it. Everything will come. Just continue doing the right things and enjoy the ride because oftentimes you don't know where that ride is taking you. Uh, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, I never would have thought I would be a product marketer and here I am. <laughs> so enjoy the ride. Awesome. All right. One last thing before you leave us, Justin, you've been in this field well uh, over 10 years. I almost said well over 10 years, but that would make me sound way older than I know you are. <laughs> way older. But you know, what, what do you hope to do in the next 10? What are your goals? What are your dreams? My goals in the next 10, oh, so, so I, you know, I'll say uh, the 10 years that I've spent in the space has been really interesting. I, I've noticed a lot of change, right? So the, the role of product marketing has gone through a lot of change um, since I read, you know, the earliest materials that I could find, uh, you know, really aren't that old. So I think product marketing as a role is still relatively new to the market. I think it, it is nowadays a must have because there is so much going on. One thing I've noticed change-wise change, change wise is just the velocity uh, in the market today. You know, I think uh, the, the pace at which new products are coming to market and the market is changing and, you know, companies are growing at these crazy rates. If you're on a hyper growth curve, the, the velocity of everything has just increased so much that product marketers need uh, are, are, are a huge value and need to be at companies because they tie a lot of this stuff together and relay information and, you know, we're kind of the, the octopus that sits in the middle and helps enable uh, every other function or engine at companies to be successful. I've noticed competition increase um, to the point where now we're starting to see a lot of consolidation in a lot of categories. Mar Mar MarTech and, and sales software, we're starting to see a lot of category kings start purchasing a lot of these other solutions uh, and, and some contraction in these categories. And I've also seen buyers become so educated 
like we talked about earlier, that you know we can't rely on the the bread and butter of oh we're going to craft market driven messaging. That that's just not enough anymore. So, you know, given all of those changes, um, I think looking ahead, you know, goals for me is as the product marketing community grows and and more of us start to come into this role and the role becomes more solidified and more must have, I think there is a wealth of knowledge. There, there's a need for foundational knowledge, which I, I would not be where I am today without the foundational knowledge that I got by going through pragmatic marketing certification uh, and other trainings that my companies has, have sent me through. I think my goal is to probably connect this community of product marketers, new and old, so that a lot of that tribal knowledge can get transferred between us. Because, you know, I hope what I share today is valuable to our listeners. And I, I know listening to a lot of the other pragmatic podcasts, I, I certainly have learned a lot. Every blog post I read from a product marketer, you know, I, I learned something new. So, you know, I would love to see for our community of product marketers to solidify. And that's something that I'm working towards in producing the Product Marketing Summit. Uh, and also, uh, making it easier for people to get into product marketing, especially at an entry level. Great. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today, Justin. It's been a pleasure to have you, and I hope you'll join us again soon. I hope so, too. Thanks so much, Rebecca. All right. That does it for today's episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>